What does motion sound like? With Kizikans free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com/socks. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Simon Bowne from the Past Lives podcast. Simon has a diploma in clinical hypnotherapy with the UK National Council, and he is certified in past life regression therapy from the Past Life Awakening Institute. Simon, thank you so much for being my guest today and welcome. It's great to be here. I really like your videos on YouTube, so it's quite exciting to be a guest. Oh, thank you very much. Simon, if you don't mind, can we start with your own personal past life regressions and what happened to you? Yeah, well, I started, uh, I did my first past life regression when somebody took me through it. It was back in the late 1980s. I used to go to a place in London called the College of Psychic Studies. And um, it wasn't that I was a student there, but they had all sorts of people who were students. Maybe they were learning mediumship or something. And I would, you could pay a few pounds and go and sit with a student medium or pay a lot more pounds and sit with one of the lecturers. And there was somebody there who was doing past life regressions. And uh, so I went there and it was, it was an amazing experience. And it was interesting because there were little physical feelings I wasn't expecting and emotions I wasn't expecting, which kind of shows how powerful it can be. But um, it started off and I found myself as like a seven-year-old girl in a park in London, and I just knew it was 1895. And there was a man there who had a moustache. I, I can still picture him, who was my father in that life. And then there was a woman who was my mother, and they had a, a pram with a baby in that I knew was my little brother and a dog running around. And I was lying back on that couch with my eyes shut, and I, I just opened my eyes a little bit and looked down, and it was like where my knees were, I could see little feet, like mm. child's feet. It was the weirdest thing. And I could also feel the blades of grass from that park between my toes, even though I was lying on that couch. And um, it was a thing where a couple of years later, I was in a part, part of North London that I'd never been to before, and there was that park. Oh, that's amazing. And it's a weird, weird park because it's on a quite a steep slope. And it's not like town planners would say, hey, this is a great place for a park because it's it's not. And all the houses around that district are exactly as I saw them in the past life regression, these big Victorian houses. And um, in that life, I uh, saw myself get older and become a nurse and I was in France in the First World War, and I had another past life regression years later where I returned to that life again and saw more of it. And uh, another kind of little confirmation was that I Googled First World War British nurses' uniforms, and it's exactly what I saw in this past life regression. But I remember the feelings, the emotions at it, and I remember this sense of stillness it was like I was in this big, long tent and there were all these beds and they were soldiers in these beds with terrible injuries. And I was the nurse there 
and you could hear gunfire in the distance, like big cannons, not rifles. So we couldn't have been that far from the front line. And I remember it's it's such a powerful sort of feeling that that it was two o'clock in the morning and it was quiet and I was there and then there was some kind of emergency and these soldiers started coming in with these terrible injuries and I was rushing with my colleagues to help people. And <laughs> there was this thing I was trying to get around a bed to help somebody but I had these long skirts and they were getting in the way. And it, it felt like I was angry about it. And it's not like I've ever experienced that in my life. Mm -hmm. But in the past life regression, it felt like it was uh, something that I've been annoyed with for months, if not years. It's the strangest thing. But also, when I've, I've been into past life regressions, a few of them now, and when you go into a life that is the opposite gender, it doesn't seem weird or unnatural. It just seems like just we'll just carry on and not really take much notice of it. Mm. But then further on in that life, um, I found myself in London <laughs> and married, <coughs> and the the husband was quite domineering, and he had a, a very was very controlling. And treated me sort of like, oh, you're just a woman. You're you're pathetic. You don't know what you, what it is, what life is, and how hard it is. And I, I remember feeling angry. It's because what you'd done as a nurse in the First World War for years of having these soldiers coming in from the front line with terrible injuries. You know, you've got to have a lot of strength to deal with that. And uh, I was, it was this weird feeling of being angry with this bloke because it was, you don't know what I've done and what I'm capable of. And it, it's these emotions that in some way for me, I feel validates this past life as being real. And, you know, I, I've talked to people on my podcast who have done a ton of research and proved that the past life regression life they saw was real. So I don't doubt that they're real, but that was the first past life regression. That was way back in the late eighties. And then I went on and I did um, another one where I saw four lives very briefly. But the weird thing about that past life regression is that I was in a, a past life where I saw myself as a young man and it seemed to be the late 1950s. And I was wearing a suit and I just had my hair cut. And I remember feeling like I, I was just fantastic. It was like, check me out in this suit. And um, I walked into this pub in London and then I just went straight up through the roof. And I just kept going up and up and up. And I was looking down on the earth. And to my right, there was a, like a hole in space, a black hole. And I moved over to it and looked into it, and it was like a deep, dark tunnel. And it you know, reminded me of this near-death experience thing that some people talk about the tunnel. But then suddenly I was back in the room, and it wasn't that the hypnotist had counted me out of hypnosis or anything like that. I was just back in the room sitting in that chair, and then I became aware of a face next to me, and it was like, the cheek of that face was touching my cheek and I got the sense of it being some kind of spirit, a spirit guide or something. And then off to my right, even though there was a wall, 
three or four feet away, I could see a whole group of people, maybe 20 feet away. And there was a really bright light behind them. And I could just see them as silhouettes. And I got this great sense of happiness. And this cheek that was next to mine, I got this like a message coming from this entity. And it was saying, we're so glad you came here today. We're so glad that you've done this past life regression. And so maybe that was my soul group over there on the right. And this was one of my spirit guides. And uh, that that was a kind of spontaneous thing that just happened. I wasn't guided to it by the hypnotherapist. Because sometimes, you know, the, with hypnosis, it's the power of suggestion. And if you say the wrong thing, you, if somebody's hypnotized, you can bring up false memories. So it's one of the things that we do when we're taking people through past life regressions is you have to be very basic, very basic, open questions. And um, in that past life, I saw a life as a man who died on a battlefield and as a, a mother in Victorian England and uh, a very boring life and seemed like the 15th century medieval England. And it's just odd how these things crop up. And one of the things about it is if you, you go into a past life regression, you get these unexpected lives and then they kind of come up and seem to be so complicated and also lives that you'd never choose for yourself. Because there's this idea maybe that it's all just made up and it's just you're just imagining it. But uh, I, I saw a past life where I was a woman in Venice in the 17th century. And afterwards, the hypnotherapist said to me, if, if you could choose a life for yourself, would you choose that? And it's like, well, no, I'd, I'd probably be a Spitfire pilot in the Second World War. I wouldn't choose that a life in Venice like that. So the complexity is amazing. And also there can be healing coming out of it, whether it's psychological or sometimes physical. And um, if I, I tell you one of the emails I've had about a healing, this uh, client I had months ago, they came to me for a certain therapy and we were looking at that and we were targeting it when we go into the past lives, we use hypnotic language like take us to the source of the issue take us to a significant event in that past life that is a cause of your current life issues. And she found herself in a forest and she stepped in a bear trap and, you know, these big metal claws grabbed her leg. And um, that was months ago. And recently she emailed me and she said that she's had this eczema on her leg her whole life and seen doctors and all sorts of people never been able to get rid of it. But since the hypnosis session, it's completely gone. And so it's this, seems to be this weird connection between the past life injury creating eczema in this life and by viewing it through hypnosis it kind of release some energy mm. or something and it, to me it's like i don't really know how it works you know some kind of spiritual connection there and energy but the eczema has gone now and it's just weird because we weren't even trying to get into that her therapy was for something completely different to the eczema she didn't even tell me she had it when we did the session so um you asked me about my first past life regression and maybe i've talked too much oh, that's all right it's quite all right and thank you for sharing those lives with us from your own experience as well as leading people through their past lives 
Why does someone pop into a particular past life? Is it because you said you're kind of trying not to lead them, but is it because you asked about a certain problem in this life or do they just automatically pop into a certain past life because there's some unresolved problem there? Well, the idea is you have your spirit guides and your spirit guides will choose for you the life to view, which is most beneficial for you right now. So people may come to me and say, okay, I want to work on something. It might be an anxiety or a phobia. It might be that they have a, a bad relationship with somebody in their family and they feel there's no origin for this bad relationship. I feel it might be a past life. Something happened. And so we can use that targeting language. We say you have a bad relationship with your brother. Take us to the life that is the origin of this bad relationship. So that's kind of targeting which life that you'll get to. But at the same time, your spirit guides will be choosing the lives. Hmm. And occasionally I've had us sort of go to into the past life and it's got nothing to do with the therapeutic target. And it's almost as if the, the spirit guides are saying, well, we know what you want to do, but we know what's best for you. And we're not going to do that. We're going to do this, you know. And it's, it's like that thing that I just told you about with the eczema. That was just a small part of that session that took maybe five minutes. And then we moved on and we were able to see more therapeutic stuff for the target. So I kind of imagine in a funny way, these spirit guides are sitting in front of a TV with a remote control and they see all the past lives listed on, like in a program listing and they can flick through and they can find the life that's best for you and they can press the button and that's the life that you'll come into. And in some sessions, we'll go into this one life and we'll stay in that one life. And we might see the person when they're age 10, then we jump forward, we'll see them when they're 20, then we'll see them when they're 35. And all these different things happening. And we can use different language in the the hypnosis like i said before we we could be see them when they're 25 and i'll say okay now we're going to move to the next significant event in that life hmm. or we might say just allow yourself to be taken to the next relevant memory and so the lives seem to be chosen by the spirit guides and they'll give you what's best for you right now and also they won't give you anything you can't handle and occasionally we see traumatic stuff the lives being chosen by the spirit guides, was that something that was taught within your curriculum or did you figure that out after you encountered your own spirit guide? That That's in the curriculum, uh, but that's, that's what I see elsewhere as well. Before I started my training to do past life regression therapy, you know, I read a lot of books by people who take people through past life regressions. And I see that a lot. A lot of people see that as that is what's happening. That's the process. And also there's the um, life between lives kind of hypnosis where we go through a death of a past life and then you go into the afterlife space and we see everything that happens there before the next life. And so we see spirit guides in there as well. Mm. And they com they communicate with us while we're hypnotized. And that's something I do with every session. So we go into a space of light and we ask the spirit guides to come forward. And about 90% of the time they do come forward and we can ask them questions. 
things like, why have I incarnated this time? Why am I here? Am I on the right path? I mean, and it's after we've seen a past life. So we'll say, why did you show us that past life? And what can we learn from it that can help us in this life? And, you know, there's, there's about 20, 30 questions that I have that we can ask. But I also say to the client, before we start the hypnosis, do you have anything specific you would want to ask the spirit, your spirit guides? And it's just amazing how they turn up and they have such insightful information and they kind of communicate with a telepathic uh, information dump. And I think sometimes people who have near-death experiences communicate like this as well when they meet spiritual entities. It's like almost as if the, the spirit guy could say one or two words to someone, but the person will get a massive understanding from that, and it could take them 10 minutes to explain it. Mm. And so that's, that's how I, I see that the past lives are chosen. It's the spirit guides. So are you saying that while the spirit guide is talking to you, he gives a download into the person or the person is completely unaware of what the spirit guide tells you and you have to tell them after the session is over. It's a thing that the client is experiencing everything. And I'm a guide and I have certain techniques that we can use when we need to. And so all the imagery comes to us in our imagination and so that's why a lot of time people feel they're just making it up. But then the more you go into it, the more complex it becomes. And then the more insightful it becomes and you start to see how it can be related to your life. Mm. So it's the client experiences all of it. And the client will describe to me what they're seeing, whether it's with the spirit guides or in the past life. What was it that confirmed it for you that this is all real? Well, uh, it's partly talking to people on the podcast. Partly it's the confirmations, like finding that park in North London when I'd never been to that area before and seeing the clothes that I wouldn't know what the clothes are and then confirming it. And it's also the physical feelings, like I've been able to feel clothes just a little bit in, in the past lives, like I could feel the uh, blades of grass between my toes in another past life. And I talked to a guy called Robert L. Snow, who was a homicide detective for 38 years. And he did a past life regression and he didn't believe in any of it. And he got pushed into it and he said, right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to prove it's rubbish and then that'll be it. And these people can stop bullying me. Mm -hmm. And in the end, he found what he called 28 proofs that the life was real. And when he was in the past life regression, he saw that life as if it was him. It wasn't like he was somebody else in the room watching all this stuff. And, um, you know, he, he, he was a detective and he's got investigation skills. And he did all that stuff before the internet. So he saw the past life of a painter who did um, portraits. And he was a like a, that was his profession, but he was never famous. And so it wasn't like he could have seen these paintings in a book somewhere or on TV. And he went to extensive lengths to try and track down these paintings and he just could not find them. And he was looking at all these catalogues in the New York, um, the museums, and he ended up in Florida and uh, he was on holiday and his wife said, can we just check out these pictures in this gallery? 
And I think, you know what I'm going to say? He, mm-hmm. he went up on the second floor and there was this picture exactly as it had been in the past life regression by this artist nobody had ever heard of. And that's when he, he got that name, he was able to do much more pinpoint research and work out that guy's life and find out where he'd been. And uh, it ended up that there was a museum who had his unpublished autobiography and he was able to get hold of it and read it. And it had never been published. It was still handwritten and it was about a year 1900, 1905 that it was written. So, you know, you hear stories like that and I hear them every now and then. And it just shows these lives are real. Hmm. And it's and they can, that's why they can be so powerful, I think, so healing and the, the energy that can be released can help so much in the current life. I just came up with a really cool idea is if imagine that you could write your own autobiography and if you could leave some kind of hint for yourself in case you're many lives later rediscovering this past life that you left yourself a note. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, there's that idea that time doesn't exist in the afterlife. You know, it's like we hear from near-death experiences. They might have been uh, on an operating table and flatlined for two minutes and they come back and they said, well, it felt like I was dead for three months. So much happened during my near-death experience. Mm-hmm. There's an idea that um, our soul, when we incarnate in a life, it's only a certain percentage of your soul's energy is in that life because your soul is uh, so massive and capable. And I've got an emblem on my um, past lives podcast logo of a, it's like a man with all these leaves and he's got his arms up. It's like a tree. And it's this idea that the tree is your soul and all the leaves are your lives and all the life, all the leaves are alive at the same time Uh, because in the afterlife it's timeless. So your soul is experiencing all of your lives in the same moment. And it's not an incarnation one after the other through time. It's all happening now. Hmm. And so there's an idea that, you know, you can get healing from a past life. But in this life, you may be able to heal something in the past, in a past life as well. You can send the good energy backwards. Can you share with us what healing you have received from your own personal regressions? I I have never done it for that reason. I've always done past life regressions because I'm so fascinated by it. And it's like an exploration. And that's why I have, I've done it. So nothing's ever cropped up for me like that. But um, I've, I've got so much out of it. So much interesting stuff has happened. And, you know, I'm going to go traveling as well, because I saw this life in Venice. And I saw very clearly these locations. And so it's, it's I think it would be fun to go to Venice and walk around and try and find those locations. From all your work as a regressionist and as well as your podcast work, can you give us your own personal synopsis of what happens to people after they die? Uh, It's complicated, isn't it? And I hear different things from different people. There is this idea that the afterlife that we experience when we die is kind of built from our own consciousness, our own subconscious. So I'm sure you know that people have near-death experiences. And if you're in the West, you might see Jesus. But if you're a near-death experience in India, you might see one of the Hindu gods. Mm. And 
it's kind of like your background can govern what you experience. And I was reading today, uh, I had a guest on the podcast recently, and he, he, that's, this is what his book is about. And he talked about an area called Summerland, which might be somewhere we all go just after death. It's a kind of staging post or a kind of uh, uh, place to acclimatize the afterlife. And it's called Summerland because it's a space that's beautiful and it may be green grass and fields and trees. And it's like a wonderful summer's day. And you might go in there and people talk about amazing, colourful flowers that seem to have their own light and flowers they'd never seen before, colours that you've never seen before. And, you know, your sight and hearing is just perfect. And then there are other spiritual entities there with the guides or maybe you meet loved ones that have passed on before you. And it's kind of an area you hear about in near-death experiences as well. But um, in this book, uh, the guy talks about all these different pieces of spirit communication that he's read about over the years. And some of it comes from over 100 years ago from the College of Psychic Studies, the sorry, the Society of Psychical Research. And... There was a, a guy, it's an interesting one, where this woman does automatic writing, and this was uh, around 1912. And you know what automatic writing is? You know, yes. when you, you just, I suppose you just zone out and just let your hand start writing. And her, uh, one of her relatives was on the Titanic, and it sank. And he connected with her just after it had sunk. So she wrote this automatic writing about the Titanic, when it sank, date and time, how it hit an iceberg. And then it was in the newspapers later. She got the information way before it was public knowledge. And in that, he talks, his automatic writing, he talks about this place of Summerland and all the people that went with him from the Titanic to Summerland. And um, that's one of the sort of afterlife spaces that I hear about. But then when we do life between lives hypnosis, this guy, Michael Newton, did so much of it. There's a space where you, you kind of um, meet with your spirit guides and your soul group. And it seems much more like a space of light and learning. And then you go to these different stages where you meet a group called the Council of Elders who are very advanced spirit guides and you may go to a place of knowledge which some people might call the akashic records and you go th you go through choosing your next life you agree with the souls in your soul group if they're going to be in your next life and who they'll be and say if you have a lesson to be learned how they will help you learn that lesson and you even go to a space where you choose your body which where are you going to be born if you're going to be born into a rich family or a poor family? And so there's that space, which I've never seen anybody describe Summerland in that kind of hypnosis. So you get different ideas from different places. Sometimes children with past life memories will talk about space that they're in that doesn't sound like Summerland or this other space that I was just talking about. So it's confusing but I've always thought that the afterlife is somewhere that's very strange and almost a place where the human brain can't comprehend how complicated and strange it is.
But I think basically there is an afterlife. And I that's one of the reasons I do my podcast is to investigate it and try and get as much information as I can. But I haven't got a definite conclusion on, you know, what the afterlife is. Have you had anybody describe to you what the Akashic records are and what it looks like, the room specifically? I feel like that's one of those things, like with near-death experiences, it depends on you, your subconscious and your, your beliefs. I have had two or three clients who have taken through the past life regression. We've gone into this space of light where we meet with the spirit guides and the spirit guides have kind of said, right, come on, we're going. I'm, we're not just going to stay here. And there was uh, one woman, and this is an ep- one episode of one of my podcasts. I edited it into uh, an episode so you can hear the actual past life regression I did with this woman. And they took her onto this library and she said that it, it was a space of light, but there were these so many shelves full of books and that you look down the aisle and it just went on forever. You couldn't see the other end of this library. And one of the librarians gave her her book and they kind of said to her, this is your book, you know, your soul, this has your lives. And she was looking at it and she couldn't read it. It was in some language that she didn't know what it was. So I said to her, let's, let's ask the librarian, why did they give you this book if you can't read it? And the librarian said, this is to show you Everything happens for a reason. All this stuff is in the book. But I I also talked to somebody who had a near-death experience, and they went to a space where it was all kind of scrolls, and they were unrolling these scrolls, and there was a blueprint of her life there, and she was able to make changes to her life, things that were coming up, and she changed something so that it would be better. And she said that, they let her make more changes further down the line, but they wouldn't let her remember what they were. So when she came back, she only knew this one thing. And she said this blueprint on the paper was kind of alive. It was moving and shimmering and you could put your finger on it and push things and make changes. Hmm. So I, I think it's, it depends, you know, on you, what you would see of what the Akashic records are reason that I asked is because I feel like I've had three or four people describe it as a place that looks like ancient Rome or ancient Greece. Columns, it was light, kind of like made of light, kind of like you mentioned earlier, but columns and and that kind of appearance. So I, I was hoping to confirm that you would say the same thing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, uh- I, when I was taken through my past life regression, my between lives regression, I got to this space where I was met with the Council of Elders, and that was a Greek amphitheater, and they all came wearing togas. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so that space was very Greek, if that's any help. Yeah. Maybe we should be praying to Zeus after all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So why do you think we keep coming back over and over again? And is there an end point to it? Yes, they they say there's an end point, don't they? We come here to learn everything there is to learn about being human. And we would also have lives on other planets. And three times I've taken people into a past life regression and they've just spontaneously gone to something that seems like another planet. Mm. But... um. They say that Earth is a very tough school 
and um, it's it, it's a tough school, but you learn quickly because it's so hard. And eventually, you would progress to a point where you no longer needed to incarnate on Earth, and then maybe you become a spirit guide, one of the Council of Elders. And I'm sure there's a lot more stuff to be done once you get past the lives on Earth. But I had a, as I said before we started, I was taken through a past life regression this morning and I saw two different lives. One of them, I saw myself as an old man in rags and I got the impression it was in Mexico a couple of hundred years ago and I was in this town and I was not a very clever person and I couldn't hold down a job and eventually my parents died and the whole town rejected me. I couldn't get a job, so I became a beggar on the streets. And eventually I died. And then I went into another life where I was in a relationship, and the woman I was in a relationship with went off and married somebody else, hmm. totally unexpectedly. And after I'd seen those two lives, that my spirit guide was there, and we said, why did we see those lives? What was happening there? And they said the, the lesson in those lives was rejection. You have to learn how it feels to be rejected. But you saw with those two lives, there was a completely different type of rejection. And so it's not like you can just with one life and learn how to be rejected. You may have to do, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 lives just to work on that one thing. How does it feel to be rejected? And so, you know, there's a lot of lives to be lived and a lot to learn. And what we've seen it's a thing called parallel lives where you may um, find, you may see a life. Like I saw that life was my partner went off and got married. I saw that in that life, I think I died in 1987. But in this life, I was born in 1965. So I was living that life and this one at the same time. Hmm. And so this is, you know, where it all gets more complicated than expected and yeah, uh, that, that that's those parallel lives happen that is interesting to be living two lives at the same time yeah i wonder if it's possible that could be what people consider twin flames to be yeah i don't know i i hear different like uh, definitions like soulmates the uh, definition of what a soulmate is and it, what i've heard is a soulmate is not a romantic thing. Your soulmate may be somebody that, or a soul that works with you through many, many lives. Mm. And you would have something that's very close with them. And maybe in some of your lives, there would be romance and marriage or whatever. But that just because they're your soulmate doesn't mean that they will be the love of your life. Well, I was speaking more of what they call twin flames. And I'm not an expert on it, but I believe what it is, is that part of your soul is in another being or another body. And when you guys finally connect in real life, it's like something that it's amazing or something you, you know, obviously, you know, the other half of your souls in this other body. So I thought, wow, to take it to another level is interesting is that just like you had, if you are incarnated, you know, if you're having two, two lives at the same time, maybe that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose if you did meet somebody, there could be a tremendous sense of familiarity. People do get that, don't they? Sometimes mm -hmm. you meet someone and you just feel so, like you just know them and they're so familiar and you've never met them before. Mm -hmm. And also occasionally you meet somebody who just 
don't like and you just don't know what it is about them, but you get a feeling that you've had some contact with them some other time that wasn't good. I mean, that could be in a really interesting novel or movie if you know have a character that meets some other character and they somehow both notify that you're the same soul. And then you're like, what? How is this yeah. possible? You know, <laughs> and trying to work through that. This is one of the questions that I have where we ask the soul guides, the spirit guides, when we get to that point in a regression, we say, can you tell us how much of the soul's percentage is in this life? You know, and they may say 15% or 30%, because your soul's off doing other stuff, having other lives. And I, uh, there was one kind of twin flames life where somebody was talking about how um, they was they came to earth to learn a lesson and they didn't learn it. And so the soul guide says, you've got to go back and do it again. So they had to be born again about the same time as the other life and live to these two lives going through at the same time, mm. both trying to learn this lesson. But the weird thing was in this other life, the person said, well, I can see myself dying now and I'm, 90 years old, and they said, hang on a second. If you were born in 1950 and you're 90, that means you're dying in 2040. So you're seeing something happening in the future now. So yeah. it gets weirder and more complicated. Yeah, that is a very interesting point. Have you regressed anybody to the future? And if so, what did they show you? No, I'd like to. I haven't done that. That, I think that would have to be some kind of a project and uh, not part of the past life regression therapy. You got me thinking now, I might put something out on Facebook, seeing if anybody wants to try doing that and see what comes up. Some of my near-death experiencers during their NDE went to this place called the Water Planet. Have you ever regressed anybody to that planet? It's interesting you say that because that's another episode I put out. There was a guy who went to a life and he, he, uh, he was like he was training to be an energetic being and he went underwater and there was this really big creature underwater and its job was to send out positive energy around the planet and it would affect all the life on the planet and that was underwater and he went on to another life where it was underwater and he was training to do that job, but he was having several lives before he came to Earth, and that was going to be his job on Earth. But because Earth was so tough, he really had to be really good at sending out this positive energy. Hmm. But it seemed that these underwater creatures were telepathic and just capable of this uh, empathy and energy that was very positive. Well, speaking of other planets and stuff, I believe you've actually witnessed UFOs in real life on this planet. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Yeah, This it's weird. You know, I find there's some things about UFOs that are connected to spirituality. But um, I was uh, playing bass in this blues band, and we had this gig in this town west of London, and it was a Sunday night, and we finished up and packed up our stuff and I'd gone in my car and I was driving back into London on this motorway called the M40. And, you know, we drive on the left. So up ahead of me on the left, there's a, a field that's empty. And I know it's empty. There's, I've driven past it so much. There's no buildings there. 
There's nothing. It's just grass and some trees. And as I was driving along, it's 1 a.m. There's no other cars around. And I see a really bright light off to the left of that field. And I'm thinking, that's odd. Maybe it's emergency works. Maybe there's a water mains problem or gas mains. And um, there were some trees there. And when I, I slowed down and I, I got to about five miles an hour and I looked to my left and there was this, this UFO and it was just above some trees and it was about the size of a large house and it was the shape of a rugby ball. You know, I think you call that a football yeah. and it had loads of red pin spot lights across the bottom of it, one half of the bottom, and a really powerful spotlight coming from the other end pointed at the ground. And I was doing five miles an hour and I was leaning forward over my steering wheel and looking up at it, didn't make any sound, didn't move an inch the whole time. And I got a really good look at it because it was only maybe 200 feet away and it was so big. So... I then got to a point where I couldn't see it anymore and I just increased my speed and went home, which I felt was a little weird for me because I'm so interested in it. And also there's that thing about a really powerful white light coming out of UFO. It's that idea that that's how they pick people up and you see somebody going up the light into the craft. But um, I didn't see that, but that's what it reminded me of. And I've also heard this idea that you don't see a UFO unless they want you to see them. They don't have to be covered in lights. It's like they're doing it on purpose to be seen. And I went um, another time I was driving. I'm gigging again. I'm driving up to London from where I live now. And uh, I'm going across this area called the New Forest. And it's a like a government designated place of a it's called a national forest and it's protected. You're not allowed to build there. You're not allowed to go camping. You couldn't um, have a bonfire there, you know, and they'd have these little roads that are wide enough for one car and you'll come round a bend and there'll be five or six horses just standing there in the middle of the road blocking you. So it's very controlled. And so I was driving across this only road that goes through the centre of it and about half a mile off to the right-hand side, there was a big red ball of light, an orange ball of light, about the size of a car. And it was maybe 30 feet off the ground, and it lit up the ground all around it. And again, I'm looking at it out of my car, but this time it's a busy road. I couldn't stop because it was too many cars. The bushes are down the side. You can't pull off to the side. But... As I was going along, it's about half a mile away, so I kept looking over at it. So I got a good look at it, and that thing didn't move an inch the whole time. And you do a mental checklist. You think, well, it's not a helicopter. It's not a hot air balloon. can't be a flare. It's not going down and down. And it's so bright and so big, I just, I just didn't know what it was. And then a weird synchronicity happened. I was on my way back. I was listening to a podcast. And this guy was interviewing a UFO expert and the guy said uh, he was lying in bed one night years ago and his bed was up against the wall and the window and he lived out in the country so it wasn't like there were other houses around. And this woke up with this really bright light coming through his window and he got up on his elbows and he looked out and he saw this 
big orange ball of light and these four ETs, these greys walking towards his house. And the UFO expert said to him, and you know what that orange ball of light was now, don't you? And the thing was, the timing was perfect. He said that at the exact moment I arrived at that space where I saw the orange ball of light. Mm. And it was almost like he was saying to me, you know what that orange ball of light was now, don't you? So that that was a weird synchronicity that stood out to me. So those are the two times I've seen UFOs. They weren't just little lights in the sky. They seemed really close. And I definitely could not, I could not think that I misinterpreted what I was looking at. I sure they're not hot air balloons. They definitely weren't helicopters because they make so much noise. Yeah. Definitely not aircraft. And um with the national forest, you're not allowed to do anything on that land. It's not like some people could have set up a, a party with a big bright light. So yeah, they're the two UFO sightings that I have had. And uh it's fascinating for me. Have you ever considered trying to regress someone to see if they were on a UFO? I've never had somebody contact me to say that they might have had that sort of experience. I think that there's lots of people who do that regression to find out about an alien abduction if it happened. But I think you've got to have those initial memories without the hypnosis to even suspect it, to then start doing that investigation. Mm. And I, I... I did a past life regression and we were in this space. I had died in the past life and the hypnotherapist was saying to me, now just drift away, just drift away from that space. Tell me the first thing you see. And the first thing I saw was I was in a classic kind of alien abduction scenario. I was lying on a table, these four alien ETs around me. And it was like somebody flicked a switch I went from zero to a hundred on being terrified. I mean, I was so scared. And the, the therapist said to me afterwards, I could see you quivering. And I could feel all my muscles shaking on my back and my arms and my legs. And, um, you know, I, I saw them doing these experiments on me and then I was shown other things, but I, I wonder if, I have such an interest in it, and I've read all these books. I wonder if my subconscious made it up. You know, I, I don't say I was definitely abducted or anything, but it's it's just one of those things that I put in the grey basket. I don't know what to make of it. But I was shown all sorts of things there, and uh, I've talked to people on my podcast who research alien abductions, and I've worked with a lot of people who've had these experiences, and They've told me they think mine probably was real. But I could go into more detail on that if you want me to. We're kind of running out of time, and I thought I would just at least ask you this. I feel like England is the home of crop circles. Do you have any opinion on those? I've heard interviews over here. There's There's a couple of guys who claim that they did it, that they made the crop circles, but... I don't believe they were making such intricate designs. And then there was another group who who do do that. They make crop circles and they do it as a, a commercial thing. You can hire them, say, mm. can you go and make this in my field? And they can do really complicated, impressive designs. Oh, wow. But they that guy that was being interviewed, and he says they have gone out at night and made crop circles for fun. 
And he said one time he had this dream and he saw this really great intricate design and he woke up and he drew it all out and he took it to his team. He said, let's, let's do this one. They said, yeah, okay, we'll do this. And they get to this field at like 2 a.m. And there's another group of guys in the next field doing a crop circle. They've got exactly the same design, this design that he saw in a dream that is very complicated and so he said that quite freaked him out. It's like, how on earth did they get exactly that design just like he did? Where did that come from? Right. But he, he also said they make some of them, but they don't make all of them. And he can't be sure where the other ones are coming from because he says there's a kind of community. They all know each other. Mm-hmm. But sometimes crop circles turn up and they're so complicated and they just don't know who made them. I believe there's also scientific studies that show the grass in a genuine crop circle is different and that the way that it's bent over is different and that there's micro capsules or something. It's like they've been microwaved. Mm-hmm. So it's it's fascinating stuff. That's fascinating to think that even though if a group creates them, maybe somebody is downloading into their consciousness the design they want them to make. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just it's um it's just this weird world, isn't it? Mm-hmm. All this stuff with near death experiences, reincarnation, children with past life memories, and then mediumship can come up with such amazing things and remote viewing, and it just keeps going on and on, this strange stuff, and it's like a big jigsaw puzzle, and you've got mm-hmm. to get all the pieces together, right. try and find out what the big picture is. Mm-hmm. I read that you've also had psychic flashes. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, one that stands out, I was going to go to a friend's wedding in New Zealand. And they asked me to get them some little present from London, nothing special. So I went and bought them a tea towel with the London Underground map on it. And I went into the centre of London and I was walking through this area called Soho. And suddenly... For 30 seconds, it was like I was transported to New Zealand and I was sitting in the car next to her and she was driving and we were going through suburban Christchurch in New Zealand and I'd never been there before. And then I was back in London and it it lasted like 30 seconds. It wasn't like a little deja vu sort of thing. And then two weeks later, I was in New Zealand and Everything I saw happened exactly. The car was the same. The conversation we were having the same. And also suburban Christchurch has a particular look to it, the way they make the houses and the wood. Because it's an earthquake area, they have to make them a certain way, I believe. And I remember seeing the street signs and the names of the roads. And that 30 seconds, it happened exactly as I'd seen it two weeks earlier. But... You know, that's I've heard, this has only happened to me two or three times in my life, and it's not like I have any control over it. Do you think it's possible that you're subconsciously creating the future, or do you think it's more that you're seeing the future? Yeah, I think it's seeing the future. I think it's, it's some kind of weird link going on there. Because, you know, if we say the afterlife, time doesn't exist and everything's happening at the same moment. Maybe there is a way of linking through to it. As I mentioned in the beginning, you have the Past Lives podcast. Now, you have another podcast, which I think is a UFO-based podcast. What is the name of that? That's called the Alien UFO Podcast. All right. And I guess you can find those on all your major 
places like iTunes or Spotify and, and places yeah. like that. As well as I believe you're posting these podcasts on your YouTube channel. There's So if people want to go listen to them there, they can do that, right? Yeah, yeah. I need to catch up on that. It's a few episodes short at the moment. What is, that, yeah. what is that YouTube channel called? It's just the Past Lives Podcast. I oh, think okay. you just search that on YouTube, you find it. Are you posting the alien ones there on the same podcast or do you have a separate YouTube channel for that? Well, I haven't started that yet. Hmm. I've done 10 episodes of the Alien UFO podcast and I've done 200 episodes of the Past Lives Podcast. Okay. So... Each one's an hour long interview and um, all the guests have a book out. So I read their book to get the questions together. And uh, it's it's been a real education for me. I've been so lucky with the guests that I've had. Do you have a website? Yes, that's pastlifeshypnosis.co.uk. So that's a kind of portal. The one part of it's the podcast. The other part of it's the past life regression. You can go on there and book a consultation call with me which is free and i do it over zoom i do sessions over zoom and uh they're very effective it's it's been really good is there anything else that you're working on that you want us to know about well um i've got those two podcasts and um i'm working on a, a new uh sort of episode because i was taken through a past life regression today and i'm going to edit that down. And the person who took me through the past life regression, a lady called Tony Riley in Australia, we're going to record, we'll listen to part of the session, talk about how it came together, talk about the past lives. And so I think that's an interesting new type of episode that I might start doing a lot of. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Yeah. When I did the past life regression today, the spirit guide said to me, um, always be happy. And he said, remember, you, you don't need to be rich to be happy. You need the people around you. And it's all about love. And, I, and that's what we hear from near-death experiences as well, isn't it? That um, it's not the material things that matter. It's the people around you. Well, Simon, thank you for that message. And thank you again for being my guest today. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best. Thanks a lot. It's it's seems like it's just been 10 minutes. I've enjoyed it so much. Me too. You're a terrific guest, Simon. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks a lot. And Cheers. you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Morrow podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.